This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Could I invite us to pray and ask God to help us as we dig into today's passage? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that gives light in darkness. Your word that gives truth to uncertainty. Your word that gives power to those who need strength. So, Father, we pray this afternoon as we open up your word that your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and engage our minds so your word will become truth in our lives. Be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few days ago, I wanted to know what picture comes to most people's minds when they think of the word worship. And so I ran a Google search and expected I get hundreds of pictures of men and women raising their hands in singing. Many people would describe worship as a heartfelt, emotionally uplifting time of singing, of engaging their hearts, and when eyes are closed, tears are shed. Well, perhaps that expression might sometimes be true. Because after all, we have seen great exuberant dancing in the Old Testament where King David dances and God's people follow after him, lifting their voice in praise of God and instruments praising the Lord together. While well, I continued scrolling down my Google search, it took a while, but I finally came to a few pictures where people describe worship with prayer. Well, it might be fitting expression on some occasions as well, when God's people acknowledge God for who He really is. If you're reading the Old Testament, you read of this majestic event, monumental event, when King Solomon was dedicating the first temple to God in Jerusalem, and he gave the most amazing prayer, acknowledging the, the majesty and the greatness of God, while Israel surrounds him and acknowledged God is amazing. Now, what picture comes to your mind and my mind when we hear the word worship? What comes to your mind or my mind when we think of the word worship? Well, being Christian on this side of the cross, and for many of you having been in this journey of Romans for the past months, we cannot get away from Paul's words in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, where he says, In view of God's mercy, our true and proper worship it's the very way we live our lives. So Paul, over the past chapters from 12 to 14, he has covered a whole array of worshipful life, how it's being expressed through humble service, through submission, through the law of love, through waking up from spiritual slumber and darkness and putting on the armor of light. Paul spoke of acceptance among Christians. And in today's passage, as we come to Romans 15, Paul sums it up with a call for unity. Because a Christ-shaped unity amongst God's people reveals the grace and mercy we have received, and it's a glorious worship to God. There's a poem that was sung by the great King David. He sung it in Psalms 133. And it might add colors to what Paul has in mind 
when he wrote to this passage to the Jewish and to the um, Gentile Roman Christians. This is what King David sang in Psalms 133. I'll just read the front and the end for you. King David sang, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is with God's, when God's people live together in unity. The song goes on where David likens the picture of unity as precious oil being poured out on the high priest, Aaron's beard all the way down, or like the dew that lands on Mount Zion. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. And then David says, For there the, the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. A beautiful picture of God's people in unity before God. Now this picture of worship in Paul's mind is one of unity amongst an uncommon mix of people, Jews and Gentiles. And in today's passage, look at verse 6 if you have your bulletin or Bible with me. Paul's prayer for them is this. Paul says, after his long um, letter to them, he says, with one mind and one voice, you, referring to Jews and Gentile Christians, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind and one voice glorifying God. They're united and unity in mind and voice before God is an image of true worship and a beautiful worship that rightly belongs to God. But we know, as with all aspects of our Christian life, Unity never comes easy. Unity never comes easy. And the Roman Christians, when he was reading, writing to, they will not achieve unity by the sheer exercise of their will, even if they want to. Because unlike sports, where many will vouch that by greed and your will, you can't achieve greatness. You can't do that for unity. To have a unity amongst a mixed group of Jewish and Gentile Christians who are poles apart. They need more than a command. Yes, they need some instructions, but they need way more than instructions. They need the reason, they need the motivation that will drive them to desire unity. In today's passage, Paul packs in some instructions, but he will really want to pack in and stack it in the reasons and motivations that will drive Christians into unity. And what he says, Paul, today to the Romans and the Gentile Christians are crucially important actually to you and me. Because here's the reality between us. We live in a world where being divisive Christian is way easier than being united ones. In this place that we are living, being divisive Christians are way easier than being united Christians. So I pray that your Bible and bulletin are now open as we hear Paul's reasons and motivations that would urge Christians into a supernatural unity. Let us turn to Romans 14, verse 1 to 3. This is what Paul writes. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, first up, the first thing to note in Paul's instruction to his listeners, 
before he goes to one mind and one voice, is this. Listen, the first thing he brings to them is that you need to expect failings. You need to expect failings in church. We need to be prepared to see and bear the failures that we see in church. For this is part of what we get when God's people gather on this side of life, that we are imperfect people that will fail. So he says, expect failing. And speaking to those who may have greater understanding of scriptures, those who may have greater freedom in Christ, Paul gives this instruction to them and then to himself. He says this, look at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong, says Paul, we are called to bear with our weaker brother and sister in Christ. Now, bearing the failings here definitely does not mean tolerating false teachings because Paul has plenty to say about false teachings and he is strong on that. But here, when he says bearing the failings of the weak, he is actually dealing with the issue of faith. In the previous chapter, many of the Jews or Jewish Christians, they, they could not exercise the same freedom over food or wine or festivals as do the Gentile Christians. And that we mentioned last week could extend to us in other disputable matters such as dress code or mode of baptism or posture of singing or drinking of alcohol and others. Now, Of these circumstances, Paul has said and appealed that those who are stronger in faith don't stumble your weaker brothers and sisters by insisting for them to go against their conscience such that when they exercise those things, they could not praise God because they are running against their conscience. So stronger brothers and sisters, bear with your weaker brothers and sisters when it comes to disputable matters. But yet apart from the disputable, there are many situations you and I are in where the stronger may need to bear with the weakened faith who needs building up. For we are not always strong in all aspects of our Christian faith. Because some, some true believers, they may struggle with the assurance of their salvation or sufferings, while other believers are fully assured on the day they become Christians, they profess and they have no doubts, they do not struggle. And they can handle sufferings well. But there are others who truly believe in Jesus, but they express it is a struggle on a day-to-day basis. And for here, those who are stronger should care for those who are weaker in faith, to build them up rather than to tear down their faith when express their weakness, or they fall into weaknesses. Now, some of us may find it easy to resist certain temptation, and we can get into any situation and happily talk about Jesus. But the, some of us will struggle with temptation or situations where we are better not to be there. And we should bear for those who struggle with it. I remember when um, there was this debate going on between Christians and atheists back in Australia and the Australian University Guild. There, alcohol was served. You can buy alcohol, you can have a drink, and you can talk. And it was meant to be a discussion where there was an important atheist professor and the Christians would argue, and then the, the students would get to do the same or just talk about it. Some are there freely having their beer, the fifth beer, and just talking about Jesus with the atheists. But others who have seen the effect of alcohol among their peers or their housemates, they couldn't be there. They struggled to hold their beer. For, for that occasion, 
Even as we are promoting that event, we should say, brothers and sisters, those who struggle with that, just, just keep off the beer, just keep off the drink. Or if you really need to keep off campus, it's alright. We're not going to say, how can you be so weak in your faith? This is a chance to evangelize them and push them to do things that they, they struggle with. They love Jesus, they want to tell Jesus, but they can't in circumstances. Those who are able to should bear and care for those who can't. And there are plenty of situations in our lives that this could be so. Those who are stronger should bear with those who are weaker. According to Romans 15, if you are looking at today's passage, Paul actually brings this, that the greater burden is on the strong. We may have to make adjustments to our preferences, to be inconvenienced, to journey with those who are struggling or weaker in faith. Now, those stronger in faith has the duty to bear with and to care for those who are weaker in their faith, to seek their good so that we are able to build each other up rather than to destroy each other's faith by being intolerant, by contempt, or by teasing. It was true for the Jewish and Gentile Christians when they meet every week, as they eat and drink and make festivals. It is true for us today, as we meet with other Christians, who will have different struggles. So how can we follow Paul's instruction? He has given these instructions, but he has more to tell us, to bear those who are weaker, and to seek, not to please ourselves, but to build them up, Paul says that we need to remember our Lord Jesus Christ, to dig deep into our knowledge and our understanding of Christ and what He has done. Look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now our Lord Jesus Christ will agree that He is the strong and glorious one. He's the one who is very nature God. We sang about it just now. Yet he chose to become nothing. He made himself weak. Taking on the nature of a servant. Becoming like a human. Christ who is strong and glorious. He was despised. And bore the rejection. Of those who are his own creation. And the day when Jesus was hung on the cross. With that big sign says the king of the Jews. Was the very day. That sinful creatures created by Him, gave their most scornful ridicule to God. On that day, when the King of Kings was hung there, was the day when humans say, we are our own kings, and God, you are not. It's the day of scorn on the God who is their God. But for that to happen, for Jesus to be there, hanging across, the cross, He has to choose not to please Himself to exercise his rights to judge those who has rebelled against him. Rather, he was there because he was willing. He came to die on the cross to bear the insults that we humans hold at God. Do you see that was what Jesus did when he came down? So that we humans will hold the insults we have on God on him. And that's what Paul meant when he quotes from Psalm 69 verse 9, that verse 3 is taken from Psalm 69 verse 9. Let me read to you what God's chosen king prayed to God as he bore the insults of God's enemy. Let me read just a little bit more from Psalm 69, from verse 7 to verse 9. Let me read this for us. God's king says, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. 
I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insult of those who insult you fall on me. The only reason why God would send His Son to bear the insult of us is because He wants to bring us back. The problem is, we who are weak can never get to God. So God sent that one who is strong to come down to bring us back to Him. Now I was reminded of a, ser- a pastor's sermon that one of the most heart-wrenching and yet comfort- comforting prayer in the Bible was actually a prayer the Lord said as He was heading to the cross. He prayed to God the Father before the creation nails Him right up that very cross. Let me read to you what Jesus prayed for His disciples. This is taken from John 17 verse 1. Death is clearly in Christ's mind, but that we are clearly in His as well. Let me read to you John 17 verse 1. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. After praying that for his immediate disciples, he goes on to verse 20. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now Jesus, the one who is strong, came to be despised and rejected, bearing the unquenchable sorrow so that we who believe in him can be united as one just as Jesus, the Son, was united with his own Father. The unity of his people was on Jesus' mind while he prepares himself to die on that very cross of our scorn. Now, dear friends, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's what Paul says. We do not bear with each other by greed, by our own strength or by our will. We bear with each other's weaknesses by remembering the words of Jesus to the Father and the works of Jesus for you and me. Not by greed, but by knowing the words of Jesus to the Father and His works on the cross, that we might be united. He didn't please Himself, but He came for us who deserve nothing in order that we may be one. As Paul goes on to this passage, He goes on saying this in verse 4 to verse 6. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they they provide, we might have hope. The fact is this, says Paul, that the scriptures are given so that we may have endurance and we may be encouraged to prepare ourselves for the king's return. He will return and to prepare us the fulfillment that we all who are in Jesus long for. The day that we will no longer be divided, but united. So what will keep us from being divisive and united is the Scripture's reminder. So as we turn to Scripture regularly, as we flip to it, that we may learn to endure and be encouraged to be able to build each other up. To be one just as Christ prayed for us 
And in fact, this is also what Paul prays for the Christian. Look at Paul's prayer in verse 5 to verse 6. Look at his prayer. He says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer for the Roman Christians is that they may have the same attitude of mind towards each other to be united and not be divisive over each other's weaknesses so that they can, with one mind and one voice, glorify God. No, we who are following Jesus, we should not be putting our feet out there so that we can trip someone else out of their weakness as if they are not already rolling. But rather, it's the beautiful worship that Christians have is this. A beautiful worship is not a beautiful a cappella of voices. A beautiful worship is a cappella of lives. Let me say that again. A beautiful worship is not a beautiful a cappella of voices that we can sing well, but it's a cappella of lives where the weak and the strong are holding each other up in unity because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we get with other Christians. Do we consciously think, how are we building each other up? Say something comes to your mind as you come to church. Was that part of the myriad of things that goes to your mind? Or do we gather merely to be pleased, just to receive? Now, are we seeking each other's good or we seek only for our own good? Or for others if it's convenient? I was reading Tim Chalice's blog today, uh, this week, and he had an article called this, The Cost of Surrounding Yourself with Negative People. Let me say that again. The Cost of Surrounding Yourself with Negative People. It's worth reading. Go and look at his um, blog. Chalice was writing, he was responding to Christian authors who are embracing the well-worn mantra of positive thinking. Positive thinking calls that you should avoid people who are failures and surround yourself with successful people. He's, he's confronting that. Let me quote bits of this blog to you. Rachel Hollis insists that a key to a successful life is deliberately avoiding people and places that generate negative feelings or attitudes. Then Chalice continues, Joel Austin says it like this, Life is too short to waste your valuable time with wrong people. To reach your highest potential, you have to surround yourself with egos, with people that push you forward, people that make you better, people that help you soar. The point is clear. If you want to be, become successful, we need to surround ourselves with successful people. If you are unsuccessful or in a negative space, we ought to evaluate the people around us and remove or avoid any who are holding us back. Now, Chalice, as he was writing this, he was pointing out the primaries that both Hollis and Austin uh, bring out, and he says they are wrong. They are wrong because this positive thinking mantra is narrow-minded, selfish, and unbiblical. Chalice argues this way. Let me read to you his argument. Jesus deliberately surrounded himself with people who were less than him, who were more negative than him, who did nothing to help him soar like ego, who offered him no path to self-improvement. Why? Because he loved them. Because he knew he had something to give them. Because he was living his life for their good, not his own. 
Some insist that if you surround yourself with negative people, you will fail to live the good life. And yet, it was by surrounding himself with negative people that Jesus lived the best life. And friends, the point that Chalice is bringing out in this article is not that we should be ignorant of the influence of people around us, because they do influence us. His point rather is that we are not called to live a self-centered life, especially towards those whom Christ had already died for. Now you no doubt at times find me failing in my Christian life, and I will have no doubt that I will find you in your Christian life at some point failing. There's no doubt you'll find me failing at times, and I'll have no doubt that I'll find you failing at times. But in times like that, what do you do? What do I do? On such occasion, do we merely just get rid of each other until someone gets better? Or do we look at Christ? Do we dig deep into the love of Christ for weaklings like you and me? Do we dig deep into how He has loved us to come down to our level so that we can go up to His? On such occasions, will we look into scriptures and dig deep to find endurance because we need it, and to find encouragement because we need it, and to have hope because that's what we have? In times of failings of each other, will we pray as Paul prays? That's why he prays to plead to God to grant us the same attitude of mind towards each other as Christ did. So that in building each other up, we can with one mind and one voice glorify God. And when we accept one another, Paul says, we will actually be bringing praises to God the way He has always planned it to be. Look on to verse 7 to 13. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praises to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Can I invite you to look at verse 7? Verse 7, Paul's instruction is actually stacking on the instruction he gave back in verse 1. And this point in verse 7 is if we, ex- if we are accepted by Christ, then we are to accept one another. Again, Paul provides the reasons for us to be united by digging deeper and deeper into God's plan in Christ Jesus. Now we know if you do read the scriptures, over time you will see that God's plan has always been for Jesus to come to fulfill all the promises he has given in the beginning to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. So you are familiar with that, but let me just remind us, just for a moment, what God had promised Abraham. Let me read to you from Genesis 22, verse 17 and 18. These are God's promise to Abraham. He said this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies, and through your offspring or seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. Jesus came to serve the Jews by becoming the offspring that God had promised Abraham 
And what God has promised Abraham was descendants, and the descendants came, Israel, all the Jews. And out of them, Jesus, the seed, came forth from there, and he reached out to the rest of the nations and draw them back to God. That is what Christ has done, fulfilling God's grand plan so that Gentiles like you and like me, we can be pulled in together to be God's people. And when we gather as one people of the King Himself, God gets glorified. That's part of God's grand plan in Christ. When the Jews and Gentiles accept each other in the Roman Church, the Roman Empire and the world of that time start to see that God might be real. They can't see King Jesus anymore because he has died, resurrected, he has ascended. But you can see the kingdom of this king building up, crossing among mixed group of people who never want to be together, crossing geography across places that people are not seeing each other, and calling out to one God which surpasses Caesar or the emperor that he ever longed for. That is beyond what the world can see. And the same happens in this world. That when the world cannot see King Jesus and they start to see a mixed batch of people who otherwise not love each other, loving each other, holding each other up, supporting each other there, an acapella of a mixed and strange lives, calling out to one God because of one Christ, God gets glorified. In fact, Paul quotes four Old Testament scriptures as he goes on, written centuries before Jesus comes, to bring his point that this glorifying of God by Gentiles and his own people together is what God has always planned. The promised seed Jesus will make this happen. And so Paul quotes in verse 9, if you look at it, it's taken from the words of King David in Psalm 18. He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praise of your name. Again, verse 10, Paul now quotes Moses saying, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again from David, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all people exalt him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule the nations. In him, Gentiles will hope. No, when we accept each other as Jesus accepts us, God is glorified because we reveal to the world the king that they cannot see. Our, real, our king is real and he is coming and his people are waiting. That is the picture of unity when it happens. No, a kingdom that is not self-pleasing but seeks the good of the other, modeling after the king himself. Now, dear friends, as I pause here for a moment, are there brothers and sisters that you know who are Christians, perhaps in this church, that you and I are struggling to accept? That we are unwilling to accept, perhaps because of their weaknesses, because of their differences. If they are, will we see Jesus as actually our common Lord? that we will learn to accept them because Christ has really accepted them, just as Christ has accepted you and me. Will we be willing to reconcile with those Christian brothers and sisters that we defer not because of truths, but because of weaknesses 
of each other, that will seek their good and build them up. Or perhaps there are preferences that you have as a Christian. We all have preferences, but are there preferences that we may be willing to give up for the sake of a brother and sister, or to change the way that we do things to build up another Christian brother or sister, perhaps at 4pm, perhaps in BTPC, perhaps those you know, that it will inconvenience you for their sake. And by the Holy Spirit, are there encouragement that you can speak and criticism that you are willing to put aside because we have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, so that we can worship God in a Christ-shaped unity. Because here's the reality, we don't need a more comfortable church gathering. We are comfortable here, we don't need a more comfortable church gathering at all. What we need is a Christ-modeled church who is willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of each other. Go to the uncomfortable church, perhaps that's the right way to be, so that we can gather with God's people rather than find a common, comfortable one who are like us. Now, as we pause for a moment, will we ask ourselves this question? Just pause for a moment by ourselves to ask, what challenges has God's Word have for us in our current way of life and preferences? Are there ways we can seek to build other Christians that we are willing to give up the comfort we may have? Do we desire unity? more than the satisfaction of comfort. What challenges does God's word have for our current Christian way of life and our interaction with other Christians? We'll have more time to pause on that later to think about it together, but let this be a question for us to pause. Now, I was deeply moved by an image that a pastor called Ken Hughes gave when he spoke about the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. We had it last week. What he said really struck me. I want to read to you what he said. Whenever we crush the bread of communion between our teeth and swallow the cup of his blood, we cannot escape the fact that he did not please himself. Let me read that again. And the next time when you have communion, think about this. Whatever, whenever we crush the bread of communion between our teeth and swallow the cup of his blood, we cannot escape the fact that he did not please himself. Well, dear brothers and sisters, Christian unity is never built on a mantra of self-pleasing. Christian unity is built on the blood of self-sacrifice. The deep fulfillment of salvation achieved for both the Jews, for the Gentiles, came at a price of blood. And so, as Paul concludes today's passage with a prayer for the Roman Christians, let us also use that to reflect on Paul's prayer and apply it for us. Look with me to this last verse for today's passage from verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as Gentile Christians in Rome, and look and put their trust in Jesus, and they see their, their Jewish brothers and sisters doing the same, trusting in Jesus, Paul prays that, may God fill you with joy and peace. As you do that, that God will fill you with joy and peace in Christ, so that you may overflow with the hope that God 
has planned for Jesus to come and return for us, and it will happen. That's the gather, the goal of few, the Christians united with joy and peace and overflowing hope that what Christ has promised that he will come, he will come for us. The question is whether we are ready. As we think about this, the same goes for us as it did 2,000 years back and it will continue until Christ comes. As we put our trust in Jesus, that we look and see the same people that we may or may not get comfortable with trusting in Jesus, will we see and pray that God will fill us with joy and hope as we work together trying to build each other up and have the hope of Christ's return. We'll have that hope of that holy, this holy direction that we are heading towards united for Christ's return. will become that holy perfection, as we said last week, where Christ will truly come and we will perfectly worship Him united with one mind and one voice, glory, find God. And that on that day, we will say what Revelation says that God's people will say. And let me read to you what God's united people will say on that holy perfection. In Roman, uh, Revelation 5, verse 13, that they will all gather and they will say this together to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father Christ, who did not please Himself when He came to save us, help us to remember it regularly as we partake in communion, remembering that He did not please Himself, and that's why we are gathered together. Father, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. We thank You that our Lord Jesus bore all our weaknesses so that we may have faith in Him. Thank you for your forgiveness and the gift of eternal inheritance when Christ returns that we do not deserve. For on that day, we will praise Him perfectly with one mind and one voice. But right now, Father, give us that holy direction to keep striving for it to Christ's return. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.